Chapter 9 of The Men in the Walls by William Tin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 Thomas the Trap Smasher had been badly injured in the surprise attack that had wiped out his band. Ordinarily, he would have had his wounds carefully dressed by the cleverness and accumulated experience of Sarah the Sickness Healer. Under the circumstances, however, Sarah had done the reverse. Now the strain of escaping and the forced headlong flight that followed it had emptied his body of its last resources. His eyes were glazed, and his strong shoulders hung slack. He was a sonambulist walking jerkily in the direction of death. When they stopped to rest, Eric after listening intently for any sounds of pursuit, had washed his uncle's wounds carefully with water from the canteens, and had bound the uglier gashes with strips torn from a knapsack. It was all he knew how to do, warrior's first aid. A woman's advanced therapeutic knowledge was needed for anything more complicated. Not that it would have made very much difference by this time. The trap-smasher was too far gone. Eric felt desperate at the thought of being left alone forever in the dark, uninhabited corridors. He tried to force water and bits of food upon his uncle. The man's head rolled back, nourishment dribbling carelessly down from both sides of his mouth. He was breathing lightly and very rapidly. His body had grown quite warm by the time they stopped. Eric himself ate ravenously. It was his first meal in a long, long while. He kept staring at his recumbent uncle and trying to work out a line of action that would do some good. In the end, he had thought of nothing better than to hitch the man's arm up over his shoulder again and to keep going in the direction of monster territory. Once erect, the trap smasher's feet began walking again but with a dragging, soggy quality that became more and more pronounced. After a while Eric had to come to a halt. He had the feeling that he was hauling dead weight. When he tried to lower his uncle to the floor of the burrow, he found that the body had become almost completely limp. Thomas lay on his back, his eyes staring without curiosity at the rounded ceiling upon which his forehead glow-lamp outlined a bright circular patch. The heartbeat was very, very faint. "'Eric!' he heard a weak voice say. He raised his eyes from his uncle's chest and looked at the painfully working mouth. "'Yes, uncle?' "'I'm sorry about—' what I got you into. I had no right. Your life, after all, your life, you, my wives, the band, I led death every one. I'm sorry. Eric fought hard to hold back his tears. It was for a reason, Uncle Thomas, he said. We had a cause. It wasn't just you. The cause failed. There was a hideous cackle from the prone man. For a moment Eric thought it was a death rattle, 
Then he realized that it had been a laugh, but such a laugh as he had never heard before. A cause, the trap smasher gasped. A cause? Do you know what the cause was? I wanted, wanted to be chief, chief, the only, only way I could do it. Alien science, the strangers, a cause, everyone, the killings, I wanted to... To be chief. <laughs> chief. He went rigid as he coughed out the last word. Then slowly, like flesh turning into liquid, he relaxed. He was dead. Eric stared at the body a long time. It didn't make any difference, he found. The numbness in his mind returned. There was a great paralyzed spot in the center of his brain that was unable to think or to feel. In the end, he shook himself, bent down, and grabbed the body by the shoulders. Walking backwards, he dragged it in the direction of monster territory. Something he had to do. The duty of anyone who lived in the burrows when death occurred in his neighborhood. Now it filled time and used up energies that he might otherwise have expended in thoughts which were agonizing. The energies which it demanded were almost more than he was capable of at this point. His uncle had been a heavy, well-built man. Eric found that he had to stop at the end of almost every curving corridor and get his breath back. He finally arrived at the doorway grateful for the fact that his uncle had died so relatively close to it. He also felt he understood why this had been suggested as their destination. Thomas the Trap Smasher had known he had little time left. His nephew would have the responsibility of sewering him. He had tried to make it as easy for Eric as possible by going the greater part of the distance on his own feet. There was a freshwater pipe in the wall near the doorway to monster territory, and wherever there was a freshwater pipe, the monsters were likely to have laid a sewer pipe nearby. It was down this, probably, that the men killed in the battle with Stephen the strong-armed band had been disposed of much earlier. And it was down this that Thomas had known his remains must also go the closest point at which his nephew would sewer him in comparative safety. This much, at least, he had done for Eric's benefit. Eric located the freshwater pipe without much difficulty. There was a constant low rumbling and gurgling underfoot, and, at the spot where it was most pronounced, he found the slab in the floor cut at the cost of infinite labor by some past generation of mankind. Near it, after the slab was lifted, was another, much thicker pipe, large enough to carry two men abreast. Like the other, the hard stuff of the burrow floor had been scraped away so that a joint lay exposed. 
Opening the joint was another matter. Eric had seen it done many times by his elders, but this was his own first attempt. It was a tricky business of tugging a heavy covering plate first right, then left, and getting his fingers under the rim and pulling at just the right moment. The joint opened at last, and the incredible stink of monster sewage poured out as the liquid swirled darkly by. Death had always been associated in Eric's mind with this stink, since the pipe carried not only the monster's waste matter, but also that of mankind, collected from its burrows every week by the old women who were too feeble for any other work. All that was not alive or useful was carried to the nearest monster sewer pipe, all that might decay and foul the burrows. And that included, of course, the bodies of the dead. Eric stripped his uncle's body of all useful gear, as he had seen the women do many times. Then he dragged it to the hole in the burrow floor, and held it by one arm for a moment as the current of the sewage caught it. He repeated as much of the ceremony as he could remember, concluding with the words, And therefore, O ancestors, I beg you to receive the body of this member of mankind, Thomas the Trap Smasher, a warrior of first rank, a band captain of renown, and the father of nine. There was usually another line or so, Take him to you and keep him with you until the time when the monsters have been destroyed utterly and the earth is ours again. Then shall you and he and all human beings who have ever lived rise from the sewers and joyously walk the surface of our world forever. But this, after all, was a pure ancestor science passage, and his uncle had died fighting ancestor science. What was the alien science equivalent? Was it likely to be any more potent, any less full of falsehood? In the end, Eric omitted those last two lines. He let go of the stiffening arm. The body shot away and down the pipe. Thomas the Trap Smasher was gone. He was gone for all time, the way Eric reasoned now. He was dead and sewered, and that was that. Eric closed the joint, pulled the slab down, and stamped it into place. He was completely alone. An outlaw who could expect nothing from other human beings but death by slow torture. He had no companions, no home, no beliefs of any sort. His uncle's last words lay still, in all their stern ugliness, at the bottom of his mind. I wanted to, to be chief. It was bad enough to discover that the religion on which he had been raised was a mere prop to the power of the chieftainship, that the mysterious female society was completely unable to see into a person's future. But to find out that his uncle's thoughtful antagonism to such nonsense was based on nothing more substantial than simple personal ambition, an ambition murderously unscrupulous and willing to sacrifice anybody who trusted him, well, what was there left to believe in, to base a life upon? Had his father and mother been any less gullible than the most naive child in the burrows? 
They had sacrificed themselves. For what? For one superstition as opposed to another? For the secret political maneuvers of this person as opposed to that? Not for him. He would be free. He laughed bitterly and self-consciously. He had to be free. There was no choice. He was an outlaw. Eric walked a few steps and put his hands on the door to monster territory. To shift it out of its socket was a hard job for one man. He strained and tore his fingers. Finally, he managed it. The door came away and he deposited it carefully on the floor of the burrow. He stared at it for a while, trying to figure out a way of getting it back after he'd passed through the doorway. No, a single man just couldn't do that from the other side. He'd have to leave the doorway open, an incredible social crime. Well, he couldn't commit a crime any more. He was beyond all rules made by human communities. Ahead lay the glaring white light that he and his kind feared so much. Into this he would go. Here, where there were no illusions to be found and no help to be expected, here he would make his solitary outlaw home. Behind him lay the dark, safe, intricate burrows. They were tunnels, Eric knew now, in the walls that surrounded monster territory. Men lived in these walls and shivered and were ignorant and made fools of each other. He could no longer do these things. He had to face the monsters. He wanted to face them and destroy them. It was like one of the roaches in the storage burrow declaring war on a cook who came in to make the evening meal for mankind. The cook would roar with laughter at such a thought. Who knew what went on in the mind of a roach, and who cared? Yet the roach would enjoy two special advantages. He had once and for all stopped crawling greedily and aimlessly with his own kind, and the enemy he had selected could regard him with nothing more than heavy, obvious contempt. If he could ever for a moment find one usable weapon and one vital area on which that weapon could be used. He hefted his two special advantages grimly. Then Eric the Only, the I, the Outlaw, Eric the self-aware individual man, stepped through the doorway into monster territory. End of Chapter 9 End of The Men in the Walls by William Tenn